Welcome to the Enchanted Ears Podcast, where we discuss anything and everything Disney. I'm Angela. And I'm Joe. And on today's episode, we are taking a look back at Frozen, which celebrated its 10th anniversary this past week. So Frozen premiered, I can't believe this, it's been 10 years already, November 27th, 2013. And thought we'd take a look back at the just global phenomenon that it was. And I got to say, researching this episode, I... I don't think I fully comprehended how much of a global phenomenon and how quickly of a phenomenon it became. But there's a, a pretty interesting backstory and history to it. So we thought we would kind of celebrate Frozen this week uh, by diving into that. But before we do, let's cover the Disney news of the week. So over at Disneyland, Disney announced a new ticket package for Southern California residents. So it is a special three-day ticket with one park per day. It's as low as $75 per day if you go Monday through Thursday. Um, If you want to have it go any day, it's uh, $275 uh, for all three days. It's a little bit more. um, That's more like $90 a day there. And this is running from January 2nd through June 3rd of 2024. So interesting um, because, you know, I think we've talked a lot about Disneyland is definitely a locals park. So it's interesting that they are offering such deeply discounted tickets. It, It must mean that they are not getting a lot of locals going, a lot of repeat people. This seems a lot like the deals they were offering over at Disney World, I believe. What Were, were they doing $99 a yeah. day or something? Yeah, I think it was like $100 a day, yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, yeah, that's probably meaning that they are struggling with some some getting people, driving people to the parks. Yeah, so if you are a Southern uh, California resident, you can get a pretty yeah, good deal. Take advantage of those yeah, cheap and it, tickets. And, like, again, it's six months. I mean, it's a long window. It's not like, hey, this is just for January or whatever. Um, it's basically going into summer season. So we'll see um, what happens there. And then internationally, I, I saw this because I follow Tokyo Disneyland on Instagram, and there was this video of Minnie walking down Main Street, and Main Street was completely turning pink. As she walked down it, like all the buildings, I'm like, what is going on here? So I had to look it up. And what they are doing at Tokyo Disneyland this year for 2024, they're having this whole event called Disney Palpalooza. And throughout the year, it sounds like what's going to happen is for a few months, it's going to be focused on like a different Disney character. And so they're kicking it off with Minnie's Thunderland event. That's going to be taking place January 10th through March 19th. Uh, and so Minnie is going to be kind of taking over the park. It's going to be special events. I think they're going to have a special parade that she's leading. They said the flower bed outside of Disneyland, which is typically a Mickey Mouse flower bed, is going to be Minnie. Um, so very excited. I don't know if they're going to do something with Main Street and make it pink like they're showing in the video. Yeah, um, but I think this is pretty cool. Everything yeah. Too. yeah, Tokyo Disneyland does stuff like this. When we went um, years back, I believe it was like themed to Pirates of the Caribbean. Well, it was Pirate Summer. Yeah. Yeah. And they um, and like Donald was like the big one there because he we have a Donald dressed as a pirate. Right. Like he was kind of like the character of that event. But yeah, it seems like they do these special events a lot. Yeah, it's super cute. And I mean, I'm sure that there is going to be some adorable merch to go with it as well. Yeah. And I feel like it's interesting. And why I brought it up is because I saw it like, I've not heard like anybody talk about this. Like you don't see this anywhere that Tokyo's doing this, that Minnie's having her like own event. But to your point, Tokyo Disneyland does things like this all the time. And I feel like people really don't know about it because Tokyo Disney doesn't get a ton of coverage. But yeah, if you're if you're interested in going internationally, that's a great park to go to. But they're always doing fun stuff like this. And they always do it up incredibly well. 
Yeah, I mean, it is it is the only park that Disney does not own. And so they pump, I mean, Disney kind of, you know, being a big, huge company are always concerned about the bottom line. But this company that owns it just seems very concerned about just making it the best park that it possibly can be. So it's a really, really nice park. Yeah, 100%. And speaking of bottom line, let's jump into Frozen because the amount of money that Frozen made uh, at the box office is phenomenal. So kind of jumping back to opening weekend. So like we said, November 27th, 2013 is when Frozen opened. Uh, over Thanksgiving weekend, it did $94 million opening weekend, which it was not the number one movie, actually. So you would think that that much money, it would be the top movie of the weekend, but it was not. The second Hunger Games had actually come out that the weekend before, the Catching Fire. And so it was the second week of Hunger Games, so it's it slightly beat it out. But Frozen went to beat out the Hunger Games sequel worldwide with $1.28 billion worldwide and over $400 million domestically. So it went from, again, being a movie that people initially thought, hey, would do well to being the top grossing animated movie of all time. And again, just an absolutely global phenomenon. What I found interesting, kind of starting with the origins of Frozen. So I think one of the things that really made Frozen such a big hit was the fact that it felt like an old school Disney movie. Yeah, it was more of a return to form. Yeah, 100% a return to form. It was based on a fairy tale by Hans Christian Andersen. It had uh, music, musical numbers in it. And what I found interesting was it was a return to form based on the sheer fact that Walt Disney had considered making a movie based on the Hans Christian Andersen story, The Snow Queen, back in 1937. So wow. it's interesting, like you, people say, hey, it's a return to form. It feels like kind of old school Disney. Uh, and it almost was because it was in development for over 70 years. So yeah, Walt actually considered making this shortly after Snow White came out. I'm glad he did it. Because I think that, you know, the way that it turned out was so good and the way that the animation is, I mean, it just has progressed so much. And if you look back at even Snow White, I mean, incredible movie, but as far as just like the entertainment factor, a lot of what made Snow White so wonderful is just the fact that the technology involved. But when you watch it today, you're like, dude, why are they dancing around the kitchen for 10 minutes? So oh, yeah, it's because, yeah, there wasn't there wasn't a, a huge story to it. Right, it was right. kind of light on plot. Yeah. And, and what's interesting was it wasn't going to be a like independent movie. So what Walt's idea kind of was is that he wanted to make a live action animation blend. This was kind of like his go to thing. He did this with the Alice comedies. He was very much into, again, kind of pushing the medium forward. And what his idea was is he wanted to make a Hans Christian Andersen movie about his life. And so it was going to be live action about his life and it was going to have then animated clips from various stories. So some of the stories he looked at was the snow queen was the little mermaid was the emperor's new clothes. So other stories that Disney ultimately turned into movies, but it was going to be this, this blend. Um, and ultimately it didn't get made because again, like, like you were saying, I think it was something that was difficult to animate. I think this whole idea of, okay, now we're going to do live action and animation that's very expensive. You know, mm -hmm. for one reason or another, it didn't move forward. But it's interesting that, yeah, this this story 
goes back to basically the birth of the Disney company. Yeah, Disney tried to make it again in the 90s and the early 2000s, but then Glenn Keane actually left the project to go over to Tangled. Yeah, this, again, it was a movie that had gone through a lot of iterations and it was very difficult to crack. And I think for a lot of of reasons. One, just because of the technical animation of trying to make snow and trying to make snowflakes and all that sort of stuff that you have to do. And, and they Disney ultimately invented a lot of ways to do this, to kind of like push animation forward, but it was something that's very hard to animate. And I think the other reason was, is, is the story. It's not an easy story to kind of turn into a kid's movie. And, you know, when this one is says it's, it takes inspiration, it's based on, the story the snow queen i mean it's like loosely based i mean in quotes i'd say based on the story yeah it might even be further away from the story than most of the other stories because i mean you read the real little mermaid she turns into like foam in the end so like with this one it goes very very off yeah i mean the original story and it's actually uh, a novel so it's hans christian anderson i believe it's his only uh novel but it takes place over uh, seven different chapters. Um, so maybe it's a novella, but it's, it's a little bit longer than a short story like the other ones. But the original version, the Snow Queen, so the Elsa character, is actually the villain. And she controls, they're called snow bees, um, but it's basically the snowflakes, but they call them Aww. bees. And so she's essent- she's the queen because she's essentially the queen bee. I want to so- see snow bees. That sounds adorable. <laughs> yeah, they look like bees, but they follow her around. So in the story, she's referred to as, as the, the snow queen because she's the queen bee and all the snowflakes, snow bees kind of buzz around her. But she is very much the villain. And the story actually revolves around a young man and young woman named Kai and Gerda. And it's essentially their story. So the Snow Queen is kind of briefly introduced in the beginning and doesn't show up until the end. And it's really this story about Gerda trying to find Kai because the Snow Queen traps him. And there's the whole thing. The trolls are basically like demons who Mm. they create... Not good for selling merch. No. They, it starts like they create this mirror that makes everything look ugly and it somehow shatters and then gets like embedded in the real world. And so people think that like everything is ugly and, and Kai is somehow infected in it. It's, it becomes this whole thing and that's how he gets trapped by the Snow Queen. And, and now in the end, one thing that kind of does tie in pretty nicely is that true love is what solves everything. So in the story, true love does thaw Kai out and kind of thaw his frozen heart and takes over this curse that like the trolls have and he thinks everything's ugly. So that still is part of it. But again, there's nothing to do with sisters. The Snow Queen's the villain. It, it's a very, very different tale. And that was something that, again, I think Disney tried to crack this, like you said, in the 90s, the 2000s. Even as they were writing Frozen, they went had a lot of, of trouble, which we'll get into kind of cracking the story, because it's not a story that's easily makes sense. Like nobody wants, you know, the Snow Queen to be a villain and, and they found it too unrelatable. Interesting. Yeah, I wonder how the so you said that it his heart gets thawed, but I feel like his 
you know, Hans Christian Anderson stories don't usually have a happy ending. So I'm wondering if like in the end his heart gets thawed, but Gerda dies or something. No, it, they all live happily yeah, ever live, after. Yeah, ends, no way. It ends pretty well where uh, yeah, Kai and, and Gerda reconnect um, and, and kind of move on. It didn't seem like it ended poorly uh, for them at all. But, but yeah, that's kind of the one thing that's in there. But what is interesting is the movie came at a time when Disney was kind of getting its footing again, and it was shortly after they had purchased Pixar. So, you know, Michael Eisner, in addition to Disney trying to, to make a movie, he actually wanted Pixar to make this movie. Um, but this is kind of when their contract was falling apart, and so Pixar didn't want to make any other movies for Disney. But Disney was starting to kind of gain its footing. We had the Renaissance, then they had a, a kind of a slow period, but things were starting to turn around. You know, they had Princess and the Frog in 2009, Tangled in 2010, Wreck-It Ralph in 2012. Things were starting to turn around before Frozen. So like Disney animation was like getting back on good footing. There was good buzz. And I think part of this you was what, because of what Pixar. the buzz was? The, the Snowbees. The it yeah. was the Snowbees. Yeah, it was, it was good buzz uh, from the Snowbees in there. But a lot of this was a direct result of Disney buying Pixar. So, you know, Disney getting Pixar benefited Disney by having the Pixar catalog, but they also benefited Disney by kind of having Pixar's leadership come in and help Disney animation. And I think you really see that with Frozen because uh, John Lasseter was a big part of this movie. He's actually the one that brought back Chris Buck, who had co-directed Tarzan. He brought him back in 2008 to make this movie called Anna and the Snow Queen and it was going to be traditional animation based on kind of like Princess and the Frog when it was still going to be traditional animation but they had a lot of issues with it and then it kind of fell off the radar in 2010 but then after Tangled came out again in 2011 they reannounced it they said this is we're going to make this movie again but it switched to 3D animation um, at that point because it Again, just the difficulty and challenges of animating this story, um, they decided to kind of turn it into 3D animation. Also because Tangle did well as a 3D animated movie. Yeah, part of what made it not work very well was that, you know, they were still trying to force that Elsa was going to be a villain. They had her evil from the start. She kidnaps Anna and uh, she kidnaps her from her own wedding to intentionally freeze her heart and then later descend upon the town with an army of snowmen. So, I mean, like, this is very, like, militant and, like, um, very, I don't know. It's it's difficult because you get yourself into pro problems whenever you create an evil character who's evil for the sake of being evil. Like, you have to have something about them that's redeeming. Even if you think about Scar, the, the one tiny thing that's redeeming about him is he truly feels like he was supposed to be the king. So even though everything he does is deplorable, you're like, well, in his own mind, this was supposed to be his kingship and now it was taken away from him. And so that's why he acts the way he does. Yeah, that's a good point with Scar. And I think all of the best villains have some sort of human quality to them where, yeah, like you, you kind of see their point of view. Like there's, there's some sort of relation to the main character or the main story where it seems like 
I, I see where their actions are coming from. Like I, I can go from point A to yeah. point B here. It doesn't mean you agree with it. Right. It's just, you know, like it, it, it's like the, the Thanos thing, like where you're like, oh, Thanos actually really truly thought he was the hero of that story, which made him such a compelling villain because in his own mind, he was doing the universe a favor. Right. And, and I think in this you know story where it's like Elsa's just evil and she's kidnapping Anna. It's like, why? Like, what's the motivation? So, yeah, yeah. Why? Like, it seems like she was just a villain to be a villain, and I and I think that's why they struggled, and you know why they kept saying we're going to make this movie, and then it didn't work, and then we're going to make this movie, and it doesn't work because they were trying to follow the Snow Queen story so closely. And producer Peter Delvecco actually talked about this, where he said, "quote." Hans Christian Andersen's original version of The Snow Queen is a pretty dark tale and it doesn't translate easily into a film. For us, the breakthrough came when we dis- when we tried to really give human qualities to The Snow Queen. When we decided to make The Snow Queen Elsa and our protagonist Anna sisters. What basically happened was is they decided, let's make them sisters. We need to give some human qualities, to your point, like Scar, like these other villains, some human qualities to them, some sort of motivation and what it caused them to do is kind of rethink the story and really kind of change the format of Disney movies for Frozen and Disney movies going forward. Yeah, I was just going to say that, you know, it is very interesting because you see in Elsa a very flawed character, but what makes her compelling is those flaws and the fact that, you know, she has been growing up with these powers and been. Um, kind of told that she should shy away from them, that they are dangerous. And so she's never been able to accept herself. And so that creates this internal conflict. And I think that everybody on some level can relate to that. And so you understand when she does lash out that, you know, it's not coming from a bad place. It's coming from the fact that she's maturing and trying to learn about herself and how she needs to interact with these powers that she's always tried to repress. And that's exactly how the songwriters saw Elsa which was another breakthrough that a lot of people who worked on the movie kind of talked about and you, you read about in stories where um, the songwriting duo of Robert Lopez and Kristen Anderson Lopez really changed the direction of the movie again with Let It Go. So even though they kind of made progress by making Anna and Elsa sisters, they still had a lot of struggles. The movie still wasn't fully working. And it really was when Let It Go came that really changed everything because uh, Robert and Kristen saw Elsa as a scared girl struggling to control her power. So exactly what you said, instead of seeing her as the villain, it was, she just has been told this. She's scared of her powers. She hasn't scared of herself. Right. Exactly. And let it go change everything. And Jennifer Lee actually rewrote the entire script after that song, because in order for that song to work, she had to rework the beginning of the movie, which then caused everything to change after. Talking about killing your darlings. That's a writing thing. I mean, to to rewrite an entire script because of a song, like that is the epitome. And that's why I think the movie turned out being so good too, is that she was willing to say, you know what, the work that I came up with was subpar because now that I see this idea, I, I'm willing to let go of these preconceived notions that she I had. She let it go. She did let, she it, let go. it go. Yeah, you're 100 percent right. And and what's interesting, you know, in the in the Frozen Two, they did that documentary on Disney Plus about the making of Frozen Two. And, so good, and it, it was good, and everything was kind of down to the wire. And we're watching. I'm like, how are they doing this? We're like, they're like, we don't have a song yet. This isn't working. It's down to the wire. I did not realize this, but on the first Frozen, 
they were still finalizing songs and the script for the movie in early 2013. This movie came out November 2013. They were still making changes to the movie in March and April of 2013. So the fact that, like you said, like they were willing to kind of rewrite the script, they were willing to rewrite the script five or six months before the movie came out, which is, I think, one of the reasons why you know Disney movies always cost a lot of money. And after reading about how they make their movies, I see why. Because they basically create new technology on how to make everything for a movie and they rewrite the script six months before the movie comes out. So I kind of see why this, you know, these things end up costing them a couple hundred million dollars. Now it paid off on frozen because frozen made over a billion dollars and sold so much merch. It, you know, it paid for itself probably 10 times over. Um, But then when we have movies that it doesn't work on, it definitely hurts, but I can kind of see why um, having this, but yeah, it's interesting, you know, Jennifer Lee, I mean, the fact that she did such a good job with the script and she was so involved in this, they actually made her co-director with Chris Buck, which actually made her the first female director of a Disney animated movie ever, um, which is awesome. So that's kind of another crazy. It took till 2013 for that. Yeah, well, exactly. Yeah. And, and coming up there. But what I was getting to about kind of changing the format of Disney movies, because whenever they shifted to them being sisters, it became a a story about sisters. It didn't become a story about a princess needing a prince, a princess needing rescue, that sort of thing. And most of the Disney movies, Disney animation up until that point was about that. And there was some sort of villain in it. And the villain was either the evil queen or something like that. This movie was really the first one that did not have a princess getting a prince it did not have like a true villain. I mean, there's a villain in it. It's kind of like Hans. You know, he's he's like an undercover villain. Like he's not really. It's not overt in that he's a villain. Um, you know, until it is overt. Correct, but not in the way like the evil queen is. You know, overtly a villain oh, or maleficent, yeah. and Elsa kind of is a villain in extent. Again, kind of because she's misunderstood with her power. So it became this thing where it's like the villain is is almost just kind of life itself. And it's just like, these are the things that happen. And after this, you see this with other Disney movies now. So Moana, no prince there. It's basically, there's not a villain. It's kind of just the struggle and the journey is kind of what moves the story well, forward. You again, see it with Encanto as well. Like you, you see that with are, the, these movies. And these are all coming of age tales where the protagonist is struggling with an inner demon and mostly about their their own self and identity. I mean, all three of these ladies have this problem where you have Mo- Moana who wants to go to the sea when she's told not to. And you have Mirabelle whose whole entire family has powers and she does not. And she, is, she can't accept that. So, I mean, it is a really common theme that disney likes to play with but again it's a super relatable theme as well which is why they use it so often yeah and why i bring it up is because i think this is one of the impacts the lasting impacts frozen has had that i don't know is really talked about a lot in the fact that i think if frozen did not do well at the box office Disney probably would be less likely to make stories like that. Like you said, like these coming of age tales, giving the lead characters more agency on their own, not needing, you know, external validation from, uh, you know, a romantic relationship, a prince, something like that, that if Frozen would not have done well, I don't think you'd have Moana. I don't think you'd have Encanto. Like, I think Disney might've been like, maybe we need to go back to Prince and Princesses. And so I think that's a, a huge impact that I don't know, 
really is talked about because it's not something you really consciously think because I think those type of movies are so prevalent nowadays. But whenever I look back on it, I'm thinking like, yeah, well, the movies before this were Princess and the Frog, which was a, a prince and a princess, Tangled, yep. Prince and a Princess, you know, Wreck-It Ralph, which you could kind of argue is a prince and a princess, you know, yeah. in a certain way, yeah. a little bit that it starts. You're right. I mean, Wreck-It Ralph is starting to kind of get away from that a little bit, but it's not really until frozen that it really is like, Oh, this is the new formula and it works really well. So we're going to stick with this new formula. It's the one thing that does make me nervous, you know, kind of jumping forward about the making of frozen three is I'm worried that they kind of mess with that. And they try to give, I think everybody's a little nervous about this, try to give Elsa a love interest. And it's like, you yeah, know, they did it in frozen two though. I mean, they, they did not well, do right, that. Exactly. So. Like, and I think frozen two, I mean, you know, speaking a little ahead, I actually think Frozen 2 is a better movie than Frozen 1. Like, I love that movie. I think it's great. Yeah, it's one of the rare movies where the sequel... I think ex- it exceeds At least the holds, yeah. I mean, I think maybe some people could argue it's not as good as Frozen 1, but it's not like a typical sequel where you have a big drop. I mean, I think right. everybody's... You know, it's not Thor to Thor the Dark World. Which, oh, which, fun fact, Thor the Dark World also came out in November of 2013. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, but it, it's not it's not a major drop off. It kind of holds pretty steady. So I think Frozen I would argue would it has be even good. better songs. Oh, the songs, it? yeah, the songs are incredible in it. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think I, I I don't I did not write it down, but I I think they wrote somewhere like twenty to thirty songs for the movie, and you know, there's only eight or nine that are actually in the movie, which is one of the reasons why I think it was very easily turned into a Broadway show with extra songs because they had already so many songs written for it. Um, But yeah, you're right. I mean, Frozen 2's music um, is absolutely incredible. Getting into the actual kind of production and animation of this movie. So again, I think why Disney movies cost so much money, but also why they look so good is because of the insane lengths they go to yeah literally i mean they created a new way to animate elsa's hair and also fur elsa's hair had four hundred twenty thousand strands where regular human hair has a hundred thousand yeah and i mean it shows her hair her braid is so thick my girl it probably takes her so long to wash her hair <laughs> i hope she does i hope her hair is naturally straight because if she had to also oh, blow had, dry all oh, that straighten it or anything yeah oh my goodness it'd be insane but yeah so they so they invented a completely new way to animate they actually went to study deep snow so they went to norway i think they went up into like canada places where there is very deep snow and they walked in it and they wore dresses and fell in it and and ran around and studied what it looked like how the snow uh, play. They actually went to an ice hotel. I think that's the one that was in Canada to see how light reflected off of ice for the ice palace. Um, just, I mean, absolutely I w- incredible. I want to be like. I understand these are probably all the the animators went to to this, but right. I want to be like a volunteer person that they take. I'll to run these around things. in the snow. I, I'll throw I, some snowballs. I will run around naked in the snow if they want. I don't even care. I don't think you can say that. No, no, no. I don't think we need that. They were fully I mean, clothed. Yeah, I would. I would get. I would get. Wait, which one is it? Frostbite or hypothermia? Both. You'd get I, both. I would get them so fast. Yeah, they'd well, be they, like, "This is the fastest anyone has ever died." Of well, this. They, they actually. <laughs> I would set a Guinness World Record. You'd have a that. sock off, and they'd be like, "She lived a good life." <laughs> yeah. But they, no, they actually wore like they talked about like dresses and robes, like the outfits that the characters wear in the movie. They wore those as they ran through the snow because they wanted to see how that type of clothing interacted with the snow and in deep snow, like what it, 
what it looked like to be in, you know, deep snow on the mountain, not just like, you know, snow, you know, like you get when you get a couple inches of snow. So, so much so that... So much snow. Yeah, so much snow that they actually had to invent a new way to simulate snow in a computer. And they worked with mathematical researchers from UCLA to, de- to develop an entirely new snow simulation, and they called it the Matterhorn. Oh, that's cute. I wonder where they got that name from. That's cute. So, I like yeah, it. so they so they named after the ride or the mountain. I, that's what I said. Where do you think they got it from? I mean, I think it, it plays on both. They could be like, you pick, you pick Welcome what it's from. To the Matterhorn Mountain. So they invented a new simulation for snow and a new way to animate hair and fur on top of all this. Um, just absolutely incredible. And I think that's why, again, you talk about it, it looks so good. I mean, the movie looks phenomenal because of the lengths they go to to make it good. And also probably because you know they were still changing the script five months before. So it's like they got time. I mean, what else are they going to do? You don't want to animate it yet. Yeah. But actually, the the Ice Palace, so getting to some like kind of fun facts and maybe like lesser known, you know, trivia, the Ice Palace scene actually took 50 artists uh, almost nine months to complete. It actually took 30 hours to render one frame of that scene. Holy moly. And I think it was because they had, again, you have this giant mathematical simulation that is developing it and doing all of the lighting and refracting yeah. and everything like that. So the computers are just rendering for 30 hours to get one frame of this. That's, that's unbelievable. Now, again, these are computers 10 years ago, so I'm sure it probably doesn't take them that long, but yeah, I bet it takes, it, it would take still a, take a while, a but yeah, 30 hours and 50 artists, nine months to make it. And then they decided to make a sequel and then a sequel to the sequel. Right. I'm sure the sequel took a little bit you know, less to do. But again, it made so much money. So they easily paid for it. Um, but kind of some fun facts about this. Megan Mullally was actually originally cast as Elsa in very early pre-production. That's hilarious to imagine Megan Mullally's voice in like Tammy. Just Tammy just, from Parks Tam- and Rec. Tammy from Parks and Rec. Is she Tammy 1 or Tammy 2? I think she's Tammy 2. I forget. Tammy 1 is the one that's like very strict. Fun fact, if you're not a huge Parks and Rec fan, but she is actually Ron Swanson, Nick Offerman's wife real in real life. life. Yeah, so it's funny that she plays his ex-wife on the show. Um, it's quite funny. So if you know that, it, it adds a level to that. But yeah, she was originally Elsa. Um, Josh Gad was actually on board very early uh, on this as Olaf. So he was actually probably one of the only ones that pretty early on, but Idina Menzel had gotten this because she actually auditioned for tangled and she did not get tangled, but they had her demo kind of still on file. And so somebody that was working on tangled was like, I think you should listen to her. I think she'd be good for this. And that's actually how um, they kind of got her onto frozen. So do you think it's because I'm guessing because Rapunzel is a much softer character and so Mandy Moore has a like a softer less like Broadway-esque voice but for Elsa she's strong she's powerful so maybe they wanted somebody with that strong powerful Broadway oh, voice. I think and, and they had Broadway songwriters on this I mean yeah. it, it was very different music they they did say too that her and Kristen Bell when they auditioned because they auditioned together that they had kind of worked on a song and they said they sang it like sisters like they sang it 
like they knew each other. And so like they worked really well together, mm. um, which was kind of one of the reasons why they brought both of them on. Cause again, when they auditioned, none of the songs were written. So I forget what song they ended up singing, but they said they, they put their own spin to it and they really worked on it. Um, and it came in well, speaking of the songwriting team, Robert Lopez and Kristen Anderson Lopez, their kind of tie into the movie is they actually had worked on the 2011 Winnie the Pooh movie. So kind of a fun fact there, which was also produced by Peter Delvecco, who produced Frozen. So whenever time came for Frozen, he was like, we have to get them. Like, you, you need them to write songs on this. Um, and they said they kind of dropped everything because they're like, when Disney comes calling, you know, you're going to mm-hmm. go and make this movie. So it's interesting how... I wonder if they're writing the music for Frozen 3. Probably. I mean, I would, I would yeah, guess. Yeah, probably. Um, but it, it's interesting how other movies and again like this is a movie that had been in development if you want to look at it back to disney it, you know 70 years almost that people in this movie either worked on another disney movie or they auditioned for a different disney movie and didn't get it and now on this one like how things kind of come full circle and it's almost a reminder kind of like in just real life of like just because something seems like it doesn't work out doesn't mean that's not going to be fruitful down the road yeah that it will never work out yeah and the same way of just this movie like how many times they tried to make this movie and it failed or like you said you know kill your darlings with the script and it's like i think i have a great script but then somebody writes this song and it's so good it's like i have to change everything i i do and you could very easily say i'm not going to do it and maybe it's not going to turn out to be the best your song it doesn't fit yeah or like you know i'm not going to rewrite the movie and then the movie's no good you know and it's like no i i need to do this and so it's it's kind of an interesting you know story and almost like metaphor for like never give up like you never know when something's going to happen like i'm sure adina menzel was upset she didn't get the role of tangled in a disney movie but it's like what character was tangled the role, a role in Tangled. I mean, not I was the just... role of Tangled. Yeah, <laughs> actually, her hair is called Tangled. Do you know that? No, it's not. She would sing. No, when it's... She, well, yeah, it was actually the when she would the run her comb. Script. When she would run her comb through her hair, Idina Menzel would be like, "Ah, that's what that's what happened." Okay, I don't think so, but okay. Well, this mind, isn't the Tangled one, so okay. But yeah, but like you know, she she probably wanted that role, and now you get this. But speaking of Tangled. I think a lot of people know about this kind of Easter egg that Rapunzel and Flynn are at the coronation scene in the end. And whoa, spoiler alert. (laughs) Can't spoil a movie that came out 10 years ago and that everybody has seen 10 times, but going back to Rapunzel and Flynn at the coronation, I do feel like this is something that needs to be explored more in frozen three, because I feel like it is more than just kind of their normal little Easter egg. Like typically in the Disney movies, yeah, you have like Mickey and Minnie kind of in there or, you know, like Donald, um, you know, is in there. Like they will be, you know, thinking like be our guest. There's like little scenes and stuff, but like, well, I mean, there's a Mickey doll on, on a shelf. And do you want to build a snowman? Like stuff like that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Like it's in the background. You kind of see it, but this was like, them very clear in the scene like you could clearly see it was them it wasn't like it was hidden they were there like i feel like there's a connection between these movies that i think should be explored more like i think it's a neat connection it's something that disney hasn't done where they go some of our princesses live in the same universe and i think that would be cool like again it could be very simple like maybe they're just visiting in frozen three 
you know, to, to see Ana or something like that. But I think that would be cool for them to explore that a little bit more. Um, but that was a fun Easter egg. Yeah, like you mentioned, there's a Mickey doll. Olaf's dance with the seagulls is actually a tribute to Mary Poppins with Bert dancing with the penguins. So a lot of fun little nods uh, and Easter eggs to other Disney movies in this movie. So now getting to Frozen actually opening, we mentioned it destroyed the box office. Initially going into it, original projections were it for to be somewhere around 180 to $200 million domestic, kind of in line with what Tangled and Wreck-It Ralph did in previous years. But it did $94 million, like we said, opening weekend. And basically after that happened, projections went up immediately to 250 300 million which it beat those at around 400 million dollars domestically and over 1.2 billion dollars internationally and i talked about this at the beginning of like i forgot kind of just how much of a global phenomenon and how quickly it kind of caught fire but it opened in november of 2013 and by 2014 there was already on it and elsa meet and greets in the theme parks and there were four-hour waits for the meet-and-greets. So they were supposed to be temporary, but because the meet-and-greets, they had such long lines, the parks decided to keep them kind of permanently. But that's probably the quickest turnaround that a movie has ever ended up in a Disney park. Right, yeah. I remember I, I remember after Zootopia came out, I think it had been like, I don't know, a year or two, and we were waiting for like pins. I'm like, are they ever going to put out pins? Because I would like a Judy Hopps pin, but... Um, yeah, it took them a really long time. It always takes them a while to manufacture. I feel like as of late now, it hasn't taken them as long, but it it used to take them years. Yeah. And I get, you know, meet and greets are kind of probably the easiest thing to put together. I mean, those obviously do show up in the theme parks first, but in January of 2014. So again, a month and a half, two months after it, uh, opened, Bob Iger announced that they're going to turn it into a Broadway show. So it did not even take them two months before they announced that it was going to be a Broadway show. Uh, May 2016 is when kind of the shortened version of it premiered at the Hyperion Theater in Disneyland. Then it went to Broadway in 2018 to 2020. Uh, COVID shut it down. They announced it was not reopening on Broadway after COVID, but it's still on a national tour. Which is a shame because it's a great show. It is great. It's interesting that 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 one, yeah, is not continuing, but they just kind of have that tour going nationally. Within a year, so September of 2014, is when they announced that Maelstrom will be closing and they'll be making Frozen Ever After in Epcot, which opened in June of 2016. So again, this is the quickest I feel like any Disney movie has been integrated in the parks with rides, shows, etc. And the fact that under a year, you had a, a meet and greet live, which was getting multi-hour waits. You had a Broadway show announced and a attraction announced within one year. You know, Encanto has been out for two years now, and we have a Mirabelle meet and greet. No attractions, no shows. Nothing. I mean, it's it's barely integrated into the parks. And I feel like normally it takes Disney a few years to do this stuff. But I kind of forgot yeah, how quickly they they just really said Frozen is a hit. We have to do everything yeah. we can to kind of pump this in. And now we have a full Frozen land. So the world of Frozen opened in Hong Kong recently. We're getting a Frozen Kingdom and Tokyo Disney Sea as part of the Fantasy Springs expansion next year. And then as part of the expansion at the Studios Park in Paris, you're getting a Kingdom of Arendelle in 2025. So for uh, three straight years, there's going to be a new Frozen Land opening at a Disney theme park throughout the world. 
which is absolutely phenomenal. I don't know that there's any other property that has a full land at multiple theme parks like that. I mean, you have Star Wars in you know East Coast, West Coast uh, in in the states, but they've not traveled outside of that, and it's the exact same copy. I feel like the Frozen Lands are going to be slightly different, but you're going to have three different Frozen Lands uh, through the parks internationally because this movie was huge internationally. I mean, not yeah, only you domestically. Have, you have Marvel. You have. Oh yeah, you do have Marvel. You're right. So you have you have Marvel. Um, and Frozen, but Marvel is like at least a collection of movies. I mean, this is essentially two movies, yeah. you know, that this is based off of. Um, but yeah, internationally, it was a phenomenon. It was actually translated into 41 different languages and actually boosted Norway's tourism. Love so, it. To the point where they were like, there's too many tourists coming. Um, but Adventures by Disney, you know, increased Adventures by Disney out there. Um, and just a lot more people were going to Norway. If you're a young listener or somebody that's kind of just forgotten, I mean, you would turn on the radio stations and like hear Let It Go. I mean, it just got to the point where it was a joke where people were. Oh, yeah. People were like, so I'm tired of hearing, of this, hearing yeah. that song. But I mean, it was just such a massive hit to to the likes that I don't think anything has hit. I mean, we don't. Talk about Bruno definitely was played a, a lot and on, you know, major radio stations, but it, it wasn't, I don't think it was quite as much as Let It Go. Yeah. We don't talk about Bruno was probably it's the only other one that's crossed over. One. Cause that you're right. That did cross over to like top 20 stations, but I feel like that was like a month or two. And then that was it. Let It Go had a long run because it's, it did so well in the movie theater. The thing about We Don't Talk About Bruno is the movie came out two or three months later. It went on Disney Plus, and then it started kind of getting picked up on TikTok and all that sort of stuff. So it took a little while to get picked up. Whereas Let It Go, people loved it as soon as they saw the movie. They kept going to see it again. So it it blew up pretty quick, and I felt like yeah, it stayed a long time. You heard that a lot. A lot, a lot. And before our listeners come for us, yes, you'll be in our heart. I know was on radio stations and so was Can You Feel the Love Tonight with Elton John, Elton John's version of it. I mean, it's not the first Disney song. But not to the level. Not to the level but, that Let It Go I mean, was. But you think about, I mean, Elton John's version was not really the version that was played during the movie. It was Correct. like the credits version. Um, Phil Collins did sing it in Tarzan. But it, again, it's just... It was the song exactly kind of as it was in the film. Yeah, so, and it um, just, I mean, it was like on repeat um, a lot. And the song won the Academy Award for Best Original Song. It won the Grammy for Best Song for Visual Media. The uh, score of the, the, the soundtrack won a Grammy as well. The movie actually was the first Disney animated film to win best animated film at the Golden Globes. It also won the Oscar for best animated film and the BAFTA for best animated film. So uh, just pulled in a ton of awards, both the movie and the song and the soundtrack overall. And again, I was kind of blown away looking back at just all the awards it won, the impact it had, because like you said, in the moment, I mean, Frozen was huge. Everybody's talking about Frozen. Let It Go was everywhere. But you kind of forget how big it got and how quickly it got that big because it's, it was a decade ago. Right. And I do think that, you know, Disney can definitely look back at this and learn from it as well because as we're in a, a, an era where we are producing live action films of things that have already been made and kind of just pumping out through this machine of just creating content, these films that aren't really that impactful, look at Frozen and how it deviated from their traditional 
you know, way of doing things and how that completely changed the face of what they were doing. So innovating, you know, it's risky, but whenever you innovate well, then it could have a huge impact and, you know, create a lot of success. So I think that that's, you know, change can be a good thing. Yeah. I think that's what you hear them talk about now where it's, they got to the point where they were making too much and quality suffered. And so now it's like refocusing on, let's just not make a sequel for the sake of making money. I'm like, Bob Iger kind of like talked a little bit about this recently of, you know, they were making sequels just because like, we know it's going to make money. And it's like, let's make something that is actually good. It's an actual story that needs to be told because I think what they're finding is they're making these sequels and it's like, I really didn't need that, you know? And I think that's why like they're suffering at the box office a little bit. And it's like, yeah, let's go back to a, a good story. Like, again, this was original quote unquote original, um, you know, for Disney, but it's like, let's make something that resonates with people and that people want to see. And I think the other thing that you know they're finding is there's a higher bar now because you can get so much for free on streaming that it's like something has to be, exceptionally better to get me to leave my house to go to a movie theater and pay for something. And it's like, and I think, you know, we talk about them making a lot of sequels, but I do think frozen three is going to be something that people will want to go see in theaters. Like it's going to drive people because it is such a phenomenon. And I feel like if they did a Encanto two, I feel like that's going to do much, much better in theaters because now people know they love it. And I think that's, that's where they're, the struggle I think is going to be is how can you make these movies and drive people uh, create a, like what new, new properties and drive people to the theaters, new properties to drive people to theaters, but also do it in a more economic sense. Because again, the level of detail they went to in this movie phenomenal and it worked, but if it didn't work, it would have failed big because they would have spent way too much money on it. And so it's like, you can't spend that much money on every movie building new mathematical simulations on how to do snowflakes like you need to you need to make something and again get people interested in it and then you can go a little bit bigger on it and it's 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 that weird balance but you're right sometimes they need to switch things up um and it's kind of like what's what's the next big thing that's going to click with people that's really going to get people interested and and drive them to a property um in a way that I, yeah, I don't know that we've seen it since Frozen. I mean, Encanto a little bit. Encanto did catch fire somewhat, but I don't think anything's caught fire like Frozen has in yeah, a while. Yeah, nothing was quite the frenzy. I mean, there were other good movies. Like I think, I pers- like I think Moana is a better movie than Frozen, but something about Frozen, I think, like resonated with people in a way that I think it's the fact the sisters like it's the family dynamic it's it's the sisters it's it's so much more relatable Moana is relatable to an extent but it's like I don't feel it's as relatable as a family dynamic everybody has family dynamics Moana has similar dynamics like it's her relationship with her grandma is similar to like Simba with Rafiki. Like you have like a sage sort of character that imparts knowledge, um, you know, or Yoda, you know? Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's different because you have sisters, I think. And it has that, those weird family dynamics where they don't understand each other. So, um, yeah, I think that you're right there. Um, although Moana's dad doesn't understand her. So yeah, but he's not a, a huge character. Like she's very much, solo on the journey i mean you have maui but maui is kind of more uh 
impediment to her and also a comedic sidekick. Like it's almost like if Olaf and um like Kristoff were almost kind of like one character. Like it's you know you, you kind of have the sidekick and the comedic relief in in one character and and so there's there's less I feel like to play off of again the it, it works. You're right. I mean, Moana is a great movie, but I could see where, hey, maybe it doesn't resonate as well with some people um, as as Anna and Elsa do. Quick question. You can only keep one. Olaf or Hey Hey? Olaf. Oh, That's not easy. even a hesitation. Hey Hey doesn't even talk. <laughs> Olaf's so much better. And in Frozen 2, the some of the best scenes are Olaf recapping the movie. Yeah. I was so. I I've had to think about it for a second but I'm like oh but we wouldn't get Olaf's I can't remember what the song's called you know this would all make sense when I when I get older yeah like that whole that whole song right. is hilarious you're right though I mean I forgot about that one I mean Frozen 2 soundtrack incredible it's fire incredible. show yourself it's great. into the unknown I mean come lost on. in the woods oh lo- I forgot about lost in the woods yeah it's so great. good it's great so all right well that wraps up our show for this week want to thank everybody again for listening. If you've not done so, please leave us a rating or a review. Subscribe wherever you get your podcast. It really helps, and we really appreciate it. Thanks for letting us your ears. Have a great week, everybody. We'll see you here next Monday. Bye-bye.